Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Romans chapter 3, starting from verse 21. I'm going to lower this a little bit. Can we we lower this maybe about an inch and a half? Um, Let me see. Yeah, that's good. Thanks. Uh, Romans chapter 3, verse 21 through 31. Uh, We're jumping back into the book of Romans. And as you remember, we talked about the simple gospel. And the reason is because we think we, I, I mean, we think to ourselves, we know the gospel. But in reality, we have complicated the gospel more than we know. And in fact, one of the things that I'm realizing as I'm getting older is that sometimes the most simple things are the hardest to grasp. It's not those really complicating things or long-winded things, but it's sometimes the simplicity and the beautiful things of those small, pithy phrases or words that it's so deep. And I think that's what the gospel is. It's not very complicated. I think it's very simple, but yet it is very difficult to understand. And so in this three-part series that we cover so far, we're going to have four parts to this uh, series, is that we decided instead of just going over the whole book of Romans and saying part 17 and part 19, what we decided to do, because we're going to cover this for the whole year, is that what we decided to do is divide up the book of Romans into subparts with subtitles. And the first three chapters, it's about the scandalous gospel, that it's just kind of all uh, jaw-dropping and awe-inspiring to when you think about what this gospel really means. And it really is scandalous that there's nothing you can do to earn or deserve this gospel message. No matter how bad you are, that's exactly why the gospel is for you. And so when you think about these things, you have to come to the realization this is a scandalous gospel. Part one in Romans chapter one, verse one through 17, we talked about the need for this paradigm shift. And that's what we covered in that first section. The second part we covered in chapter one, verse 18 through 32. And we talked about the godless, how the godless, those people who don't know God is trying to be God. And they're trying to run their life as if they are God. And that's why they're all guilty. And we have fallen short of the glory of God. We'll talk about that today. Part three in chapter two, verse one through 29, we talked about those who will judge and be judged as well. And remember, we talked about that those of us who are judging people, that's your tendency because your Pharisaic heart, your pride, whatever it may be, whatever you judge people with, when you sin or make the same mistake, that's what you're going to be judged with. There's only one perfect judge, and that is God and God alone. And the fourth part is what we covered last month before missions month. In chapter 3, verse 1 through 20, we talked about how the unrighteous tries to be righteous on their own because they know that they have fallen short. Then here they are trying to do all these things to be made righteous. This morning, I want to talk about how the righteous, the Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for the unrighteous and why this is so important. And I'm going to just kind of focus in on the gospel summary. Do you remember the gospel summary? Uh, You saw this picture. If you look up here, you will notice a picture. And we talked about how there's a creation. God created all things and they were good. And but because of disobedience, uh, there was sin and there was the fall. 
And from there, God, in his love for his people, chose the Israelite people so that they will bring the gospel to the nations. And then we have Jesus Christ coming to fulfill all things, and that is the redemption. And then we have the restoration that God is making all things new. And we talked about how it's like a fabric. The gospel story is like a fabric. And so we have the creation, the fall, the redemption, and restoration. And in between the fabric are the threads that hold it all together to make one story. And we use the acronym GIFT. So we talked about God, what he did, who he is, what he's trying to do. And we talked about the Israelites. God chose the Israelite people so the plan of God can be fulfilled. And then we talked about the fulfillment, that Jesus Christ came. He fulfilled all the prophecies. He was, and he is the Messiah. And then we talked about how we are now invited into this kingdom to bring forth transformation as he's transforming us. And that's why once you become a believer, you cannot sit there on Sundays and say, I did my Sunday thing, or go to a life group and say, I did my life group community thing. But you are on a mission that everything that you do, every single day that you live, that God has called you to live out the kingdom principles so you could bring transformation so ultimately to restore all things for the glory of God. So with that in mind, I want to go ahead and just jump into this. I want you to think about something first. The question is this. Do you know of a person? Okay, so don't, do not raise your hand. I'm going to just ask this rhetorical question. Do you know of a person who likes to brag or, or boast about themselves? Or maybe if I could put it in another way, do you know a person who just loves talking about themselves. Or when you're in a conversation, they literally talk 70% of the conversation is all about them. Do you know of anyone like that? Don't raise your hand. Just kind of, you could just nod your head if you know of someone like that. Now, if some of you are thinking to yourself, I don't know anyone like that, then that person is you. Okay. So just so that we're clear on this. All right. Just so that we're clear on this. I think if we're honest with ourselves, we have to confess that we all find ourselves bragging boasting, talking about ourselves, and maybe a little bit too much. I think this easily carries over into our walk with God and with our relationship with other people. We forget that we, where we came from, who we are, who we were, where we came from, and then we begin to think that somehow we achieved all that we have right now because of us, whether it's your talents, whether it's your intellectual uh, abilities, whatever it may be. Somehow we forget that it's God who gave us some of these things. It's God who saved us. And I think it's easy to think that how good we are when in reality, we're not that great. Especially those of us who are doing a lot of good things. It is really easy to think to yourself, I'm doing great. But in reality, you're not. I'm going to kind of show you this really quick video that explains one of the reasons why we are addicted to bragging and boasting and talking about ourselves. It's amazing. Now they are doing a lot more research and a lot more studies on the brain. And they're finding out that there are stuff going on inside of us that causes us to then behave a certain way. This is the reason why we keep on talking about the acronym T, T-E-A. It's a lot of times there's an action, and that action is not a standalone. It is fueled by your emotions. 
And your emotions come out of your thought process. So whatever you think about, it's going to fuel your emotions and it's going to fuel your action. T-E-A. So it's about T. I want to show you this video and pretty much as some Wall Street journalist, Wall Street Journal journalist, who are talking about during, they have this program called Lunch Break, and they're just kind of talking really briefly about why we love to boast and why we love to brag all the time. And it's no more evident than in social media, especially what's being posted, that oftentimes it's about us, what we're eating, what we're doing, rather than other people and who they are and what they're doing. And so let's watch this together and help us to understand why we tend to brag and boast and it's connected to our minds. Let's watch this together. Announcing themselves, here I am. Look what I'm doing. Look at all these things. Now, I'm not trying to condemn you, especially if your Instagram page is all about you, but I'm just simply saying that we have a tendency and some of us might be more guilty than others. And I think this is why it's so important that we understand the power of our minds and what we think about and what the Bible says and what the truth is and what might be deceit or even lies that Satan will speak to us. This is the reason why Apostle Paul says what? In Romans chapter 12, we'll cover this next year in 2022. It says what? To be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you're not being transformed by the renewing of your heart, your emotions, your will, but it's the renewing of your mind. And I think this is why we need to address our tendency to brag and to boast. Why? Because when you think about this, you're like, why, why is this important? Especially to what we're going to talk about. Because this gets to the heart of worship. Who you worship. What do you worship? Because whatever it is that you're worshiping, that is what you're going to become. If you worship success, you're going to become this person who's consumed with money and getting these grades and having this position. If you're consumed with looking good or healthy, whatever, you will be in the gym all the time. And spending more money in what you eat and what you add to the things that you eat. That's why it's important to understand what it is that you're worshiping because oftentimes the things that we are worshiping or the person or the people that you are worshiping will dictate how you live your life and how you understand the gospel. Our worship of Jesus flows out of our understanding of what he has done for us. And our relationship to God is so vital in our worship of Jesus. So let me give us the one thing. The one thing is simply this. When Jesus is our greatest boast, we'll worship him with our utmost. When Jesus is our greatest boast, we will worship him with our utmost. Everything that we have, we're going to be able to worship. We just turn to somebody next to you, just pair up right really quickly, and one person share the one thing, and the other person share the one thing. If you don't know it, let them go first, and you just copy them. Go ahead, and will you do that? And then we'll come back here and look at this passage. Amen. I'm going to highlight, I'm going to highlight for us uh, two things that we must remember if we're going to worship Jesus with our utmost, because he's our greatest boast. There's two things we got to look at into this passage in verse 21 through 31. The first one is this, that our faith 
must be in Jesus. Our faith must be in Jesus. I'm gonna read verse 21 through 26. This is what the word of God says. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just, just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, you got to read this passage in light of what everything that he was talking about previously. And so in Romans chapter 3, verse 1 through 20, the Apostle Paul establishes that all of us are sinful and under God's wrath. No one can escape it because every single one of us has sinned. Some of you are sitting there, well, how did I sin, Pastor? I'm a pretty good guy. I'm a pretty decent person. Well, I'll say this. You might not have done bad things, but also the Bible says there's sin of omission. There are things that God wants you to do that you're not doing. So the Bible says to love one another. There are times there are people that you cannot love. You have sinned. So there are things that you should do that you do not do and things that you should not do that you do. And so all of us are sinful in that way, no matter how righteous or good you might think you are. And so because of that, the wrath of God, because he's holy, he is going to come upon you and judge you because he's the perfect judge. And so he's talking about this in the first 20 chapters, that he alone is this perfect righteous judge. And then as Apostle Paul was trying to build his case in chapters 1, chapters 2, and just earlier in chapter 3, verse 1 through 20, he mentions in verse 21 of chapter 3, as we start off, he says, the righteous of God, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So listen carefully. He says, the righteousness of God has been given to us apart from the law. Now, Paul, is what he's doing is he's not really saying the law is bad, and later on we'll see this, but he's trying to reframe what it means to be righteous. So what does it mean to be righteous? And he's saying that the law and the prophets, which are the Torah and the prophetic books and some of these other wisdom books that we see in the Old Testament, that they bear witness to it, that the righteousness comes from God. And the objective of the law is not so much to make you righteous, but to show you how sinful you are so the righteousness will come from God and God alone through Jesus Christ. Like I said, I'm going to tie that in at the end. So just keep this in your mind. For the Jewish audience, as they're listening to this, reading this letter, the righteousness for them, they understood that observance of the law, obedience to the law, that is how you become righteous because we are the chosen people of God. For the non-Jewish audience, their worldview is that it's always been about trying and being good enough so that God can accept them. 
We see that even today, some of you who have pre-Christian friends who are not believers yet, they do believe in something. They will say, I don't believe in anything. I'm a free thinker. No, you're not. You're lying because you do believe in something. You believe in humanism, about yourself, about self-sufficiency. You got to make something about your life. Some of them believe in other religions, whatever the case may be. But one of the things that we will notice is that every single person has a worldview that we operate under. And a lot of the worldviews, I would say almost every single one of them, apart from Christianity, and I want to explain why, it's all about being good enough so that you could be accepted by God, so that you will find merit and earn favor from God, which ultimately will lead to salvation or eternal life. Christianity is the only religion, as I've been sharing many, many times, where it says there is nothing you can do to reach up to God, not even all your righteous acts, because in the book of Isaiah, it says that they are like filthy rags, you know, those ones that smell because it's just kind of sitting there. All your righteous acts are like filthy rags compared to God. You might be better rag than this other person's rag, but you're still a rag. But, But with God, because he's perfect, that it is like a filthy rag compared to the holiness, and the perfection of God. So God, knowing that, came down to us in the form of a man, Jesus Christ. And he lived a life that we could not live. And he died the death that we should have died for us. So here he is, understanding that there's two audiences listening to this, those from the Jewish background and those from the Gentile background, the non-Jews. And he's trying to say that It is not about righteousness that comes from the law, nor is it righteousness by you trying to do all the good things. So he's trying to share that there is something that's different when he says this righteousness that comes apart from the law. Let me give you some of these other translations so that you can kind of understand what he's trying to say here. And I think this is going to be important because when you read other translations, it just gives you a little bit more insight into that passage. So listen to what it says. In the Amplified Version, it says, but now the righteousness of God have been clearly revealed. I want you to read that yellow section with me. Independently and completely apart from the law, though it is actually confirmed by the law and the words and the writings of the prophet. What he's saying is you cannot be saved by obeying the law. You cannot be saved by doing quiet time and doing soap. You cannot be saved by going to life group. You cannot be saved because you went to church your whole life. You cannot be saved by that. Even though those things do confirm that it's important. Another translation, it says here in the Living Bible, it says, but now God has shown what? Us a different way to heaven. It's completely different from what we're used to, what we've been told. Not by being good enough and trying to keep his laws, but by a new way. It's a new way, though not new really for the scriptures told about it long ago. Because all the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus. It's talking about Jesus. He's the perfect one and we're not. So here's Paul trying to reframe what it really means to be righteous before God. And Paul is sharing from the difference between a human paradigm and a gospel-centered paradigm And listen, this is important. The difference, the main difference is one is based on behavior and the other is based on what we believe. Behavior and what we believe. And the sad part is this. Some of us believe, 
But after we become a Christ follower, we start behaving. That's why I get amazed. And, and, and I'm not trying to be condescending in any way, so please try to understand my heart. There are many of you in this room, even those of you who might be watching online, there are many of us who believe in Jesus Christ by faith, and so we say that prayer and we're saved. But after we're saved, the way you live your life is just as if you don't know Jesus Christ. Let me be more specific. There are some of you who are still struggling with sin. In fact, let me rephrase that. All of us are struggling with sin. We turn to somebody next to you and say, I'm struggling with sin. Okay, now we're being honest here, okay? This is good. Every single one of us are still struggling with sin. Now, of course, that sin is different according to who you are and what you struggle with. We all fall short. And so as we're struggling with some of these things, what do we start doing? We feel guilty. We feel bad. So that's why when we see our life group leaders, when we see our pastor, like, you know, on the street, you don't want to say hi. Why? Because they remind you of maybe what you should be doing, what you should not be doing, but you feel guilty, so you don't want to see them. That's where there's a lot of blue ticks all the time. Because you don't want to explain, like, oh, we haven't seen you for a while. And say, well, I'm really sinning and I'm struggling and I need help. No, you don't want to have to explain all that. So what do we do? This is just human nature. We feel guilty, so instead of confessing our sins and understanding the forgiveness of God that has been purchased for us on the cross, what do we do? We hide. We go further into sin. And then it becomes a habit, and it becomes almost like a stronghold in our lives. And after a while, you don't want to do anything with God. It's not because you don't believe He loves you, but you cannot believe that He will actually love a person like you, especially with all the sins you've committed. That's why you then struggle with mental health in many ways, because in your mind, you're like thinking to yourself, oh, God doesn't love me. How can He love me in the midst of this? So you go through a stage of depression. Now, I am not belittling mental health. It is a major issue in our generation. And because of the social media and so many other things that are like narcotics in our brain, it is constantly lit up ever since you were young, 9, 10, 11, 12 years old, all the way up to now. And so you've trained yourself to be a social media or narcotics by positive reinforcement, whatever you want to call it, ever since you were young. It literally reorients and reshapes the synapses in your mind. So that's why some of you get depressed. Some of you go through stages of not speaking to anybody because you just don't like yourself. You don't like the sin that you see. You avoid people. So how do you cope? You turn to more sin, thinking somehow if I turn to pornography, if I drink more, and I'm going to say this. Now you, many of you know our stance on, on, on drinking. The Bible nowhere says not to drink. It says don't get drunk on wine. So in our church, we're, it's a, it's a liberal, like what, what we call it, it's an issue of liberty. Every person who's a follower of Jesus Christ, they have the liberty and the choice. But what I worry about some of you, and I'm speaking this because I'm hearing things, and also I look at some of us, and this is the problem, that you are associating drinking with stress. So every single time you're stressed out, you start drinking. You come home, you go to happy hour, you come home, and you start drinking by yourself. You make that association day after day after day. I'm telling you right now, you're going to be an alcoholic. And as soon as you go, I'm not, then you are. 
Same with video games. Why do we play it? Because you're the number one player in the whole world? Maybe not. Because your life is a mess. Because you're, you're sucking up, you're stinking, you're making a mess at school. At work, you're getting berated by your boss maybe, or you're not doing well. So your spirits are down. You feel like a loser. But then this game, you're the man. It feels good when you kill some people. It feels good when you can level up. Man, it got really quiet here. Because this is what I call speaking the truth just from a lot of counseling sessions. And if I counsel you in this, I'm not trying to pick on you. You know my heart. I love you and I want you to grow. I want you to be set free from some of these things. And I worry about some of you. I'm praying for you. I'm interceding. So same with the leaders. But what's happening is that instead of turning to Christ, we're turning to so many other things. And so what happens is that we focus on behavior and not what we believe. Because what you believe is really what's going to set you free. It's not by behaving. And some of you have a false assurance of salvation because you behave really well. So you think you're better than everyone else, but you are just as rotten in your heart than anyone else. It's not behavior, but it's what you believe. Simply, one is based on performance and the other is based on Jesus' performance, what he has done. That's the difference. Righteousness by faith is either going to be like you trying to perform and you will always fall short and you're going to get very discouraged and very depressed because I'm going to tell you right now, even before you get started, you're going to mess up. Or your faith and righteousness that comes through what Jesus has performed on the cross for you and for me. This is why righteousness is not just available to the Jewish people, which they thought they, they had an advantage because we have this special relationship with God because we're the chosen people, but rather it's for everybody. We're all on equal footing because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Look at verse 23 again. It talks about this. It goes back to this gospel paradigm where God created all things good and we were to display God's splendor and by reflecting his character. Remember the gospel paradigm? God created all things, creation, but because we have sinned against God, that we, have, we were made in his image to display the glory and the splendor of God. But because of sin, now everything is marred. Sex is supposed to be a good thing, but now it's marred. The things that we enjoy, they were supposed to be good things, but now we are addicted to them. And so everything that we see is that it has been distorted because of sin. I thought this was interesting that the verb to fall, everyone has fallen short of the glory of God, that verb to fall, it is in the present tense, which emphasizes continual action. It means that we keep on falling short. Can I get a good amen? Well, I don't know if that's something good to say amen to. Yeah, Lord, I keep on falling short. But we got to start somewhere. Amen. <laughs> amen. Your pastors fall short. Your life group leaders fall short. You fall short. People around you will fall short. They will hurt you. 
So we're going to keep on falling short. It's not that we stop falling short. We're going to keep on falling short. This is why we cannot save ourselves or try to be righteous on our own performance that's apart from Jesus. I thought what was interesting and it's in verse 22 because we all have this opportunity to trust in Christ for, that's the key word, for our salvation or our righteousness through his righteousness. Verse 22, it says, through faith in Christ for all who believe. It is through faith, not through performance or trying to be good. Righteousness based on performance will literally destroy you. Everyone say, destroy me. It will destroy you if your righteousness is based on performance. Because think about this for a moment. When you do well and you, you, have, you have soap seven days this week, and all you see on the WhatsApp group is your soap, your soap, your soap, your soap, and seven days straight. No one else is showing. That's something like, what soap? Well, ask somebody later. Reading the Bible, going to a life group, doing all this stuff. Of course, they're all good things. But when you make them as a basis of your performance or how good you are, how you're going to be accepted by God, no wonder it is so depressing at times. No wonder you don't feel good enough. No wonder you struggle with, well, what do they think about me? So think about this. If you do well in your performance, you will get proud. And I see this people all the time. Every year, new crop come. Every year. That's one of the beautiful things about working with college students. Every year. New freshmen every year. Youth group presidents, they were worship leaders every year. So we go, welcome. <laughs> we'll teach you about the gospel. They get proud. They think they're great. They think they're somebody <laughs> apart from Christ when they're not without Christ. Or we go over here. Because if you base your righteousness on performance, we all know we're going to fall short. So we're going to struggle as I described. Let me describe this. I think I described this before. I'm going to keep on using this illustration. All of us right now, after service, we're all going to go to TST. Right on the promenade. Right there. And we're all looking out and we're like, whoa. Right over there is Wan Chai. Let's see who could jump the furthest and get to Wan Chai in one jump. Now, some of us a little bit unhealthy and maybe we're just kind of like really slow. We, we might be like, I'm going to try. I'm going to try really hard. And so you back up right on that pier, and you run and go, ah, and it's just oh, two feet. Well, how are you going to feel? Oh, man, my life sucks. I'm, I'm no good. And someone else like, ha, 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 two feet, watch me. Because you're a little bit more fit. You've been at, at the gym, and so you run, and then all of a sudden you do one meter. And then as you're sinking, you're like, ah, ha, ha, I'm further than you, but you're, you're sinking. And you're not even close. The boat hasn't even, you, it hasn't even left, you can't even pass the boat. Some of us, we are Olympic long jumpers. I got this. And you decide you're going to jump across and beat everybody. Can you imagine? Yes, you might be able to get to nine feet. I don't know, about uh, two meters or so, three meters even. 
because you're, you're awesome, you're strong, you're built. And all of a sudden, as you're in there, you know how they do the running thing up in the air? You, you look back and you're like, I'm beating all these guys. But then you're going to fall too. That is literally what it looks like when some of you in your righteousness are trying to earn salvation or favor with God. You will fall short, ridiculously short. But you might feel good because you're beating that other person and these other people who could only do a meter. But the point is, you cannot get to Wan Chai from TST because you cannot cross Victoria Harbor in a jump. That's the point of the law that shows that you are guilty. You have sinned against God. You have fallen short of the glory of God. That's why when we realize who Jesus is and what he has done, he becomes our boast. And when we boast about him, not us, because look at me, I jumped a little bit further than you. No, you're still sinking. But when you boast about God, it is literally that ferry that takes you. It's a Jesus ferry. And it's always on time. And it's taking you to the other side. And what do you do? Nothing. You just sit there, enjoying the breeze. And you didn't even have to pay because Jesus went beep, and you got in. That's why in verse 22, Paul uses the phrase, there is no distinction, saying both Jews and non-Jews are saved through the same terms. It is only through Jesus. Listen to what the Living Bible says. It says this, and we all can be saved in this way by coming to Christ. Come on, let's say this together. No matter who we are or what we have been like. Huh. That's, the God, that's the beauty of the gospel. That's why it's so scandalous. It doesn't matter who you are, what you, what you have done, where you have been. You can be saved in the same way. Another translation, it says this. In the contemporary English version, it says, And God, what? Treats everyone alike. He accepts people only because they have faith in Christ Jesus. No other way. Then now this gets interesting. You just be patient with me as I try to unpackage this because you need to understand this to understand for us to boast in Christ is going to help us to worship him with our utmost. In verse 24 to 26, we get this clear view of our situation. He's just laying out how to get righteous before God. Now he is giving us a clear view of our situation with what the gospel entails and he uses three specific words. Everyone say three specific words. He is going to use three specific words that will help us to understand the gospel and why we could be made righteous, not in our performance and behavior, but because of what we believe. So the first word is the word justified. Everyone say that with me. Justify. Let's read verse 24a. I'm just going to read that first part of verse 24. It says this, and are justified by his grace as a gift. Let's just pause here with that phrase. The word justified means to be made right with God. It is a legal term that kind of says to declare righteous. So think about like you're in a court of law and all of a sudden as the arguments are given, then, then the, it's brought into the jury, they decide, and they give the verdict to the judge, and the judge reads the verdict, and he says, I declare this person as what? Not guilty. 
That is that word justified, that you are declared, you are made righteous, not because what you have done, because what Jesus has done. Earlier in chapter 3, verse 20, we didn't read it, but in verse 20, it says, for by works of the law, it says what? No human being can be justified in his sight, since through the law, everyone say this with me, comes knowledge of sin. So by the works of the law, how you behave, you cannot be justified because the law comes knowledge of sin. Now, let me read it in a couple of the translations so you understand what Paul is trying to say. In the New Living Translation, it says this, for no one can ever be what? Made right with God by doing what the law commands. The law simply what? Shows us how sinful we are. So when it says to love one another, and right now there are people in your life, I know there's some in my life, my goodness, Jesus, come on, come quickly, Lord. I cannot love. Because a personality trait, something they've said, or their mindset, whatever it is, it is really hard to love. That's just a confession. Somebody like, oh my God, what kind of pastor do we have? No wonder we're gonna pray for this church. Yes, please pray for me. I need your prayers every single day. So think about it. The command to love one another is there. It's a, it's a law, it's a command. It's not a suggestion, it's a command. So because it's there, what does it show you? That you're not loving. Are you with me? The law shows us that we're not loving because it says to love and we cannot love. Go and make disciples of all nations. It's a command. It's there and it shows us that we don't want to live for God's kingdom. When it says you should have no other gods or idols before me, graven images, it shows us how sinful we are, that we are idol worshipers. We worship our job. We worship our success. We worship our grades. We worship our parents. We worship other people's approval. We worship all these things because the law shows us and exposes our hearts how sinful we are, that we cannot justify ourselves before a holy God. And listen to what the uh, uh, Passion Translation says. For by the merit of observing the law, it says what? No one earns the status. No one earns the status of being declared righteous before God. For it is the law that what? Fully exposes and unmasks the reality of sin. Some of us are so good at masking. Some of us are so good at doing everything possible, all the right things so the leaders won't feel like they see you. We don't want to be exposed. We put on masks. But that's what the law does to show you that you cannot hide because you are under the judgment of God. So you're sitting there like, oh my goodness, this is some bad news. So that's the word justified. Pretty much what he's saying is we're justified by his grace. No other means, no behavior, no performance, nothing you can do. You are only justified by grace. And it shows us how it is by grace. This unmerited favor. You, you had nothing to do with it. Nothing. And everything with Jesus. It had everything to do with what he did. And nothing that you have done. The only thing you contributed is your sin. That's it. The second thing is not only justified, but the second word is redemption. Everyone say redemption. 
Look at what it says in verse 24b. It says, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We see that being justified is not only by faith, but there is this confrontation with sin. This is where we get some of the good news now. Because sin demands a payment, and it has to be through redemption. The word redemption comes from the original word meaning a ransom payment. A ransom has to be paid. Now, the reason why this is such an important word in the Bible is because the concept in the Old Testament, it is in the context of freeing slaves by paying a price to purchase them back. So let me demonstrate in this way. You're a free person. You love God. And all of a sudden, Satan tempts you. And then now you're in his prison. This meter and a half by a half a meter prison. Here you are stuck. And you're trying so hard to set yourself free. I'm going to stop watching that thing. I'm going to stop trying to do that. I'm addicted to it. I'm going to stop drinking. I'm going to stop using drugs. I'm going to stop doing X, Y, Z. And here you're trying to stop. And then you can't. So you're stuck in this confine of this little prison that Satan has created for you. And you are literally in bondage. Some of you are in the bondage to yourself because the things that you think about, your emotions that you feel, and it just seems like you're going through a downward spiral. It gets worse and worse every single day, every single week, and every single month. And so here you are, like literally just left to yourself, and you're sitting down. I can't, I can't sit in, you know, that, that, that's bending style, but I'll, I'll, I'll just like this. Okay, that's a bathroom style. Anyway, so here, here we are. Here we are. We just resigned ourselves to, well, what can we do? This is what we are. This is what we're left to do. So we give up. And I see this all the time with many people. Well, you know what? I can't change, so I'm going to just keep on sinning. I'm going to just keep on doing whatever. I see that all the time. Kind of this fatalistic mindset that that shows that you have lack of faith. So here you are saying, I'm stuck. I can't do anything because of my background, because of my relationship with my mom, with my dad, what I went through. I was sexually molested. I went through all this stuff. This is who I am. This is my lot. I'm stuck. And here's Jesus. When he looks at you, he is, he is. His heart breaks because why? Satan has you in a stronghold. You are a slave to sin and it breaks the heart of God. So what does he do? He dies on the cross for your sins so that now when he died and rose again from the, the powers of Satan are vanquished. It's gone. He has no power. He could still maybe kind of put you in a headlock, WWF, but he cannot possess you because you are a child of God. Everyone say child of God. Satan, can, he could tempt you, he could pull you, he could try to like strong arm you, but you will have a decision to say no because now you follow Christ. So what does he do? He comes over as he died on the cross, rose again from the dead. He literally opens the door of the prison. And guess what? You could walk out because he purchased your freedom by dying on the cross. But you know what the sad thing is? Some of you, the door is open and you still want to be here. You, you could literally just walk out, but you know what? You're unwilling. Everyone say unwilling. Famous word. You are unwilling. You could literally walk out of this little prison of your life, the addiction in your life, the struggles of your life. You could walk out because what Jesus Christ did, he opened the door. He's purchased. He paid the price with his life. He paid the ransom price so you could be free but you still choose to be here. That's why this word redemption is so powerful because it emphasizes the act of buying person out of slavery. 
That's what Jesus did. He bought you out of slavery, slavery from fear, slavery from judgment, slavery from whatever anxiety, worries that you have. He has set you free. This is the reason why when God looks at us, he knows that the payment is full. It has been paid through Jesus Christ, his son. And now we have a new master, which is Jesus that's why Jesus becomes your greatest boast. And that's why when you understand the gospel, you're going to want to worship him with your utmost. Why? Because of what he did, not what you did. Here's the third word. Let me quickly move along here. The third word. So the first word is what? Justify. The second word is redemption. Here's the third word. <laughs> this is going to be fun. You could do a whole sermon just on this next word. Propitiation. Huh? Exactly. <laughs> Let me read verse 25. This is what it says in verse 25. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. The word propitiation can be translated to satisfy by a sacrifice or sacrifice of atonement. Some of you might know that word in the Old Testament. So let me explain a little bit of what I mean. This word is literally an act of sacrificing something, listen to me, so that the wrath of God can be turned away. So if you want to look at it, it's, it's similar but much different. It's kind of similar to a lot of uh, people who uh, worship ancestors, the ancestral worship. And even in the Hindu gods and some of these other religions, they will come and offer sacrifice. You know why? On one hand, because they want to receive something from these gods. But also, on the other hand, they sacrifice. Why? Because they don't want to anger him. They don't want to anger that god. They don't want to stir up that spirit to come back and haunt them. That's why, that's what we call religion. So, why in the world does Paul use this word of propitiation when it's connected to this idea of satisfying someone's wrath by a sacrifice? Now, this is part that's important. Because this idea of propitiation and this word atonement comes from the Old Testament, which means mercy seat. Everyone say mercy seat. This mercy seat was created when they made the Ark of the Covenant. And it was in the tabernacle of God. Those of you who don't know too much about the history in the Bible, it's okay. You're going to learn. If you stay with us for a while, you will learn the Bible. But this, I want to show you a picture, is the, the Ark of the Covenant. And inside is like the, uh, just the law, the, the Ten Commandments. Uh, we see uh, Moses' stick uh, that he used, the staff. And so like Inside is all those things, but this is the Ark of the Covenant. You see, remember those stories about they try to carry it and then they died and stuff like that. This is supposed to be the very presence of God. These two little wing things, they're not eagles, but they're cherubim. They're, they're, they're angels that are covering their eyes because God is so holy. Now, where is this mercy seat? Well, let me show you the next picture. The mercy seat is in between the two cherubim. That's the mercy seat. That's where the presence of God is. So now, why is this important? Now listen to me. I'm going to give you a little bit of Bible history. In Leviticus chapter 16, that is a whole description about the Day of Atonement. You just have to remember Leviticus 16. You can look it up later. 
on the day of atonement, something happens that is very important to help you to understand propitiation according to what Paul is trying to say. On the day of atonement, the priest, the high priest comes and they bring two goats. And in these two goats, they begin to choose which goat they were going to use for sacrifice. Can you imagine? They're like, yeah, I hate you. Yeah, I hate you too. Who's going to be, you know, killed? I don't know what they were saying to each other. But there are two goats and one of them is chosen to be killed. So you know what they do? The high priest comes, takes one of the goats that he chooses and he kills it. And when he slits the throat and the goat is lying there, he takes the blood, he carries the blood, brings it into the tabernacle, the presence where the presence of God, which is the Holy of Holies, and he sprinkles, listen, he sprinkles the blood over the mercy seat. The other goat, he's like, I'm alive. The other goat, the priest comes and lays his hand on that goat, confesses all the sins on behalf of the Israelite people, and then they take it into the wilderness and release them. That's what we call the scapegoat. It escapes. So that goat takes all the fault and all the sins of all the Israelite people. So every single year on the day of atonement, Yom Kippur, they take these two goats, one of them killed, blood shed, takes it and put it on the mercy seat, sprinkles it there. The other one lay a hand, confess it, and then release it into the wilderness. Now, why is this important? Thank you for the history. Thank you for the goat conversation. Now what? Because when you think about this, this is exactly what God was prophesying about what Jesus would do. He even talked about it in the book of Psalms. This idea of Psalm 103, verse 12, it says this, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he what? Remove our transgression from us. That's a scapegoat. That's the goat that is going to be, it's going to be removed. But he's referring to now, even in the psalm and the prophets and everything is talking about Jesus. He's the only one who could remove our sins. That's why when Jesus Christ came and lived this perfect life, he became the perfect sacrifice and he became God's propitiatory sacrifice to bring forth a sacrifice, the shedding of blood so that God's wrath can be turned away from us. So when we place our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, not in our performance, not how good we are, or how well we obey, but on him, because we suck all the time, we disobey all the time. But when we believe in what Jesus Christ has done, then he is on this mercy seat and he's offering us mercy to us because the blood that was shed and that he rose again from the dead, that's where we begin to see that now God's wrath is satisfied. So when he looks at us, every single day we wake up, when he looks at us, he knows we're sinful, but he doesn't see us. He sees Jesus' righteousness on us. Can I get a good amen to that? Every single time we mess up, the more you're like, oh my God, what must I do? I'm going to do all this stuff. Then you, 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 you've totally lost it. You, you don't understand. What you do is confess, ask God for forgiveness, which has been purchased for you on the cross. But listen, when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. He doesn't see your sinfulness. He already knows how sinful you are. You know what he sees? He sees a child of God who has been forgiven and he sees the righteousness of God. What, what an incredible thought that is when you think about how sometimes you're, some of us are insecure. Some of us feel like, man, does God really love me? And let me just say this to you, more than you know, more than you could ever imagine. When I think about this idea of grace 
and not getting something that uh, we don't deserve, but we get it. I want to tie this into what Pastor Bo was sharing today about the Giving Tuesday. Well, once again, I want to personally thank you, all of you who participated, even whoever that person was that gave 71 cents. Praise God. You know, everything for the glory of God. So praise God, because I know some of you don't even have a lot of money for food and you were participating. So that blesses my heart. I don't care how much you give. You can even just give 10 cents. But if you can give, that's what's really important. It's your heart. And as Pastor Bo and I were praying about who to give and we're just going back and forth because we had a whole list of different people we could give to. What we decided to, at least for me, I was just praying, oh, God, speak to me. Who, who are some people that we should give to? And I also asked different people for some input. And then as I got the input, I was praying through this. And the thing that really spoke to me this week, I mean, man, you could tell, I don't know. I don't know if I'm on fire now. I'm excited. And uh, I, this week was awesome. Because I had to call every single one of those pastors and ministry leaders of these or nonprofit organizations. I was contacting them, some through email, some through WhatsApp. Some of them I talked on the phone. And as I was talking with them, it was such a powerful thing because almost, I would say almost every single one of them, I mean, all of them were first of all shocked. But I had to tell them, no strings attached. We don't want anything from you. Second thing is that there were some people who were just, I would say the, probably the best way is just overwhelmed or literally in awe. Because as they were explaining to me, they said, Pastor, this morning, so some of them I called on Wednesday, some of them I called on Thursday, some of them I talked to them on Friday. They said, this morning, we came together as our staff. We had a staff meeting. And this is December, so they're looking at the end of the year budget. Are, are we going to meet it? Do we have enough resources for our Christmas outreach? They said they looked at the budget and they realized they were short. So you know what they did? That morning in their staff meeting, they prayed. God somehow provide. And it was in that afternoon I contacted them. Do you think that they were like, huh, we're so good. Our ministry is awesome. Are you kidding me? This is what I've been sharing with some of the people in our church so far. It is the triangle of generosity. You triangulate this generosity. I feel a book coming up. I don't know. I want to talk about this is good. This is important. And I, I, I knew this already, but just seeing it live and the people's response, it just really humbled me. Person A, organization A, they're at a staff meeting. They pray to God because they know that only God can do it. And they have to trust in him by faith that God will provide. They pray to God and God somehow then speaks to person B. So there are so many choices we could have given to, but somehow God spoke to us to give to person A. And then when I contacted, being part of person B, this organization called HMCC, as I contacted person A or the organization A, guess what happened? They were overwhelmed. And what I just began to realize is there is this triangle. And so this person A, as they prayed to God, God spoke to person B and they obeyed. And when they obeyed, they were a blessing to person A or organization A. And guess who gets all the glory? God, because their faith increases. They believe that God will always provide. Trust in God. He's always good. And then here I am, 
and with the each executive team, I've been telling them that what's been going on. And we're just like, wow, wow. It, even when my wife and I were trying to decide how much we should give, you know, sometimes we just have to give in faith. And after this happened, I was like, wow, wow. And then I said, what else can we give? You want my socks? I'll give you my socks. What else do you want? I was so excited because why? I literally, in my obedience, in our church's obedience to receive this offering and to give it to some of these people, guess what happened? I saw their face. I saw their, I heard their voice. And some of them were actually in tears because one of them, the father passed away. They had to go back and take care of the father. And they were wondering, God, where are you? And they, they were sharing that when we, when I called and I talked to them, and they were sharing the story with me. They were just saying, this is a, a miracle. This is a blessing from God, that God is still with me and in our church. I don't know about you, but if you want to get addicted, get addicted to that. You're going to want to give more. So as you give more, then all of a sudden, eh, 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 then you're like, eh, here's my life. Everything's yours. Because this is a demonstration of grace because they didn't deserve to receive it, amen? But God, who is on the mercy seat and we, he's, he has purchased everything for us, moves this group of people to then give here freely, no strings attached, in grace, loving in grace. Then who are the ones that get blessed? Not only this group, but we're the ones who get blessed too. That's what happens with grace. When you give grace to others, you receive the blessings of God. Can I get a good amen to that? Amen. Let me close with this next one. And I'm just going to fly through this. We need to close here. Anyway, praise God for baby dedication and things. But here we go. Um, our faith must be in Jesus. But in the next three, four verses, I want you to listen to me carefully. I'm not going to go over the whole thing. I'm just going to skim through it. Our focus must be on Jesus. Let me just read verse 27 to 23, and I'm going to just talk through it really quickly. Listen to what it says. What then becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one, who shall justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Pretty much what's happening is this. Because of everything that we talked about in verse 21 through 26, everything is about Jesus. So that is why what Paul is saying is that if you are boastful and bragging about you, what you do, how great you are, you don't understand the gospel. That's what he's trying to say. Did you not hear? You were justified by faith. You have been redeemed, a redemption. You have been set free from prison because of Jesus Christ. And by faith, you walked out of that door. And by faith and through the work of Jesus, of his work and the propitiation of our sins, the wrath of God is no longer upon us that has been removed because it's been placed on Jesus. Everything is about Jesus. 
And therefore, when you live your life bragging about yourself, doing God's work, and it's about you and about how people view you and what you think about what they view you of, whatever they can, every single time you get self-centered, narcissistic, you think about yourself, then pretty much what he's saying is this, you don't understand the gospel because when you understand the gospel, it is not about you. It is all about Jesus. What he has done, his work, his resurrection. And that's why boasting is canceled. This was the original cancel culture. Jesus is saying it is canceled. Where's that verse? Come on. What does it say? Okay, we'll get here. It's canceled. Boasting is canceled. There should be no uh, boasting because of what Jesus has done. (sighs) Think about it. We're on a boat. All of us on a boat. Everyone say we're in a boat. (laughs) We're cruising along. The one that goes to nowhere. We're cruising along. And all of a sudden you're looking at like, oh, so far. And you fall in. You fall in the ocean. You fall in the water. And you don't know how to swim. Danger. And somebody somehow throws a life, uh, uh, one of those life rings, the lifesavers, or they jump in and they rescue you. You come out of the water, you don't go like, you better have saved me. <laughs> you know that I'm good. You, you, you should have you been there earlier. Why did I have to use my voice? It's scratchy now. You know how ridiculous that is? You will come and you'll be like, thank you so much. And then let's say there was an interview. You're not going to be talking about, yeah, when I jumped over, fell over, at least I had a a really nice pose when I fell down. It was awesome. And my pitch of my voice was so loud that everyone could hear. So I'm like, help, help. And so they all heard me. Even over the music in the background, they heard my voice. We're laughing because that's how stupid it is. You were sinking, dying, drowning in your sin, and Jesus just came and plucked you out. He saved you. And every single time you boast about yourself and all the good works that you do and how righteous you are and why, as you're serving, you think about yourself, make it about yourself, you focus on yourself, you do not understand the gospel. Or I would say this, your understanding of the gospel is kiddie pool, just your feet wet where it's green. Yellow and blue makes green. Okay, you're in the kiddie pool. If you don't understand that joke, I'm sorry. Just forget, forget it. You need to go deeper into the deep ocean where it's dark, where it's blue, where it's clean, it's clear. That's where you're going to be saying, man, this gospel is so drench me, Lord, in this gospel. That's what will set some of you free from your self-righteousness, your pride, your judgmental attitude. Because you look at yourself and you realize, I have fallen short of the glory of God. Skip, skip, skip. Okay. Uh, (laughs) When Jesus is our greatest boast, we'll worship him with our utmost. Can I quickly give some next steps and then we're uh, going to skip that end video. I want to just go into communion and let's end it here. I'll save that video for something else. It's a good one. Uh, I'll find the right time.
can I just encourage us? You, you cannot hear a message like this and just walk out of here and say, okay, another one. I pray that the Holy Spirit will really speak to you because some of you are struggling and some of you just feel like you're on this treadmill, you're not growing. And some of you might be at the end of your ropes thinking like, is this really Christianity really worth it? Is it really worth living for Jesus Christ? Some of you might be there. And so I want to give you these next steps so you could then in obedience, in a willingness, not an unwillingness, but a willingness to say, the pain of not changing is so great right now. Even though to change is going to be painful, I'm going to choose to change by God's grace. The first thing is this. Believe more in Jesus than behaving more. Stop thinking about how you're going to behave, how you're going to just believe in Jesus more, what he has done. When things get hard, when you don't believe, when you feel like your emotions are all over the place, start declaring out, out loud of what Jesus said, who he is, and who we are in him. Write it out. Say it. Sing it. I don't care what you do. You could do an interpretive dance. You know, you do whatever you need to do to believe in Jesus more and behave a little bit less. Because when you start behaving more, thinking you're going to be more righteous, you're going to be more accepted by God, you're going to go through this very vicious cycle. Second thing is this. Bring your worst to Jesus. Can I get a good amen? Bring your worst to Jesus. When you could bring your worst to Jesus, what you're doing is you're opening your heart to say, God, this is my worst. This is the ugly side of me. And I need to do it in faith to believe that you do love me, that you have forgiven me. You will forgive me. And if you doubt it, just look at the cross and the blood that was shed, the pain that Jesus went through. So bring your words to Jesus and receive that forgiveness. The third thing is this, break the performance cycle. It's so hard in Asia. It's all about your performance ever since you're young. Growing up in Hong Kong, you have to go to DBF. Where else are you going to go? You have to go to the school. Where else are you going to go? Because if you don't perform, that you're not going to be able to do this and this. If you don't do this and this, your parents will not love you. They will get upset at you. Your whole life is about performance. And you carry this over in Christianity. And what happens is this gospel that is pure, that is so simple but yet scandalous. You're not going to be able to embrace it. Because even if you embrace it, you're going to be like, what do I need to do to be loved by God more? Rather than realizing how much he loves you and he died on the cross for your sins, it sets you free and you're just saying, God, my heart, my life, everything that I have, I want to worship you. The fourth and last thing is this, is brag about Jesus every single day. Find a way to brag about him. Stop talking about yourself. Now, that doesn't mean that if God uses you, when someone goes, oh, man, I just want to say, you did a great job. Just don't talk to me, yeah, you know, because you're going to put me in this performance cycle, and I don't like it. <laughs> See, you're being foolish. Receive the compliment. Thank you. But what? Praise God, because he's the one who enabled me to do it. You know those sports guys when when they interview they're like they're interviewing how was it it's like first thing I want to say I praise God because why he gave me the strength to do this I know sometimes I'm like oh God here comes this God thing again but then when I say I'm like I don't think that's that bad can you imagine at work you do this project and your boss goes oh my God who did this and you know like <laughs> and then they go you did a great job I'm like 
praise God. You know, I understand if I get a little bit kind of like, what's going on here? But there's different ways to do it. Thank you very much. I mean, it was a crazy project. It was very busy. But I'm thankful that there were people in my church that supported me. And just walk out. And just walk out. Drop the mic and just walk out. And they're like, what church do you go to? You don't have to say, oh, praise God, God the Almighty, the propitiation for my sin. They're going to be like, what? They're going to be like, what? what is this? But just be authentic and genuine because you lifted up prayers. You say, hey, guys, can you pray for me? I'm struggling and it's, work is very stressful, all that stuff. And they pray for you and you, God pulled through. And then when they're like, awesome, then you could be like, yeah, it was hard. But I'm thankful that I have a community of people at my church who love me, who've been praying for me. See, that's, that's how you drop those Jesus bombs. Well, they don't even know what hit them. And then they're like, wow. I think I drank too much coffee. Anyway, so let's, I'm going to ask, let, let's stand together, shall we? As I mentioned, we're going we're gonna, we're gonna to take communion. Can I just ask us right now just to bow our heads for a moment? Let's just bow our heads. Just close your eyes for a moment. And I just want, to, I want you to go back to Calvary, to where Jesus was crucified. I want, to try to, I want to encourage you to try to picture as best as you can that cross. On his left and right were these two criminals. Jesus being naked, stripped, of his clothing, nails through his hands, nails through his feet. His back is already literally flesh is showing, thorns on his brow. And I want you to hear those words of Jesus. Forgive them, Father, for they don't know what they're doing. And I love that one phrase at the end when he says, it is finished. Will you just say that with me? It is finished. Come on. It is finished. You don't have to perform anymore. You don't have to try to do all this stuff. You don't have to try to be good. It is finished. So now when you do obey Jesus, it's because you love him. Because of what he has done for you. Now you serve him because he has not only served you, but you get the privilege of reaching out to other people to experience the gospel. When you give, you don't give because someone's telling you to give, but you want to be a blessing because you know the joy of receiving things from God, mercy, the grace, the love. You know what that feels like. You want other people to experience. That's why you will give. We're going to take communion. And what better way to remember the cross? As we think about the body that was beaten for us, the cup that represents His blood that was shed for us, that we can say that it's about our faith in Jesus and the focus is on Jesus. That's why when we make Jesus everything that we have and we boast about Him, then we're going to be able to worship Him with everything that we have, with our utmost. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.